Welcome along to Health Naturally, and Dennis Stewart is here. Dennis, we're going to try this for the third week running. We will indeed. (laughs) An interesting topic, though, an interesting topic. Old-fashioned remedies, some of which are still available in our pharmacies. And maybe uh, we'll get a look at that today. Old-fashioned remedies with a new Vogue kind of guy. That's Dennis oh, Stewart. Oh, how about that? Third time lucky, Dennis. We'll get into it. Old-fashioned <laughs> remedies. <laughs> Good afternoon. Craig at New Lambton. You're uh, on with Dennis right now. Hello, Dennis. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well indeed. How are you, Craig? I'm well, thank you very good, much. Good, Thanks good. for your time. Good. Um, yeah, so I've got a reoccurring <clears throat> pinealinal abscess yes. um, on my tailbone, which yes. I've been suffering for yes. quite a few years. Yes. Um, I have had it operated on surgically five yes. times, yes. Um, you know, cut and drained and yes. packed and whatnot. Yes. Just wondering if you know of any old-fashioned um, remedies for that type of thing. Well, this, this is a condition that um, I've actually treated uh, quite frequently. In right. fact, the, 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 the first case I treated, and I remember it well, was a young woman that came from the western suburbs of Sydney to see me in my Gosford rooms many years ago. And right. she, she had a similar lesion, a recurring abscess, and this was in the groin. Um, and you can imagine how embarrassing that was. Yes. And I remembered her well in my consulting room. In fact, she had herself packed the, the, the crater, if you like, yeah. uh, this, this pus-ridden and discharging lesion that is characteristic of this, as you would know. Yes. And she was managing it herself, actually, by dropping uh, drops of a particular form into it and had been doing so for some time. She had been on numerous antibiotics. It had been worked on surgically, but as you've explained it frequently reasserts itself. The thing, the thing that resolved that was not a topical application, but actually placing her on a liquid herbal medication that is based on herbs that are called antimicrobial herbs. Now, right. in, our, in our trade, that means these are herbs that are used to address chronic uh, recurring infections and particularly of a, uh, a boil, abscess or carbuncle nature. And so with this condition, my treatment uh, drew drew upon well-known herbs from the Western tradition, which any Western herbalist uh, should be able to to work with. And the leading herbs are echinacea. Have you got a pencil and paper? I sure do, Dan. Okay, because this is a... a, a, Before I give you the formula, uh, the uh, one other outstanding case that I treated was just after the earthquake uh, in my Broadmeadow rooms. I remember a lady that uh, came down from Maitland and she had one on the tailbone again, a lesion that was recurring, discharging, pussy and getting nowhere and I treated her similarly um, over a period of weeks and it broke the back of the recurrence as it did with this gentleman and the formula that I used uh, and this would have to be professionally prescribed because these herbs are in liquid form based on the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia and prescribed in correct standardised extracts with a standardised dose. So it would be foolish for individuals to seek to take on board what I'm saying and say, oh, we could go and do this ourselves. That is absurd. But the the, the herbs that I drew on um, and still draw on would be herbs like echinacea, obviously, uh, would be golden seal. Yeah. Uh, that, and that combination in Western herbal medicine of echinacea and golden seal is an outstanding combination for addressing any uh, recurring infection, particularly of a, of a boil or carbuncle 
or staff nature. So I drew on echinacea, golden seal, and the remarkable herb calendula. Uh, there may have been one or two other herbs with it, but that trio is always the trio that I use to address these sorts of chronic, stubborn, discharging lesions. And it did the trick with that uh, last from the western suburbs, who for years after would trudge all the way from way out the western suburbs, bring her uh, children up to see me for various conditions. And she was on my books for very many years. She became a very, very uh, loyal supporter of uh, my system of medicine because it finally saw the lesion, similar to yours, in her groin, on the hairline, obviously, take yep. up as a result of that oral medication, as it did with this lady from Maitland. My suggestion is, if you've had this for any length of time and you're not winning, it's recurring, yep. uh, you need to see uh, a professional herbalist and get on to those herbs and begin to take them as oral medication and give them a chance to do their job. Excellent, Dennis. That sounds fantastic. That's some great advice. Okay. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, great advice, Craig. Dennis, can I just jump mm -hmm. in and add my two cents on this one? Of course one? you can. Because I've actually suffered from that yes. many years ago. Yes, yes. Um, no more pain I've ever had than when I had that cut out. Again, yes. on the tailbone. The tailbone, yes. And it's the ingrown hair. And, yes, correct. And essentially what happens is they cut a piece of... that. They cut that whole piece of flesh away down to the bone yep. and tie yep. it all together. Yep. Yep. I can recall being in the uh, laying in the hospital bed after that and mm. not a red-hot pain, but just this white-hot pain. Yes. It would take around 25 minutes to move. I believe me. you. And uh, I could recall needing oh, uh, needing to, you know, use the bathroom, so that's yes, the bottle yeah. on the side. Yes. It took about 25 minutes to yes. reach over, grab the bottle, yeah, come back. Dear, dear. But because the pain is there, just the message that you need to go couldn't, <laughs> couldn't yeah. go. Dear, dear. About 3 in the morning, woke up after being busting to go to the loo for about 12 hours. I thought, you know what, I'm not going to have time <laughs> to reach the bottle. <laughs> out, yeah. out we went. And... Uh, Having been then standing up in the hospital, completely drenched and with no gear on at all, having the nurse sponge you down, I'll tell you what, yeah. you just don't care anymore, yeah. which kind of yeah. helped yeah. because the, for the next couple of months had to be, um, you know, have it all cleaned. And, and in, in your case, the surgical procedure resolved the problem. It did. It and did. look, it I think this, this is the point that needs to be emphasised. In the cases that we've been looking at and even in, in addressing Craig's problem, mm. it would seem that despite surgical intervention and despite a good medical care in some of these conditions they still tragically and surprisingly crop up again with the normal uh, development of discharge and pus and inflammation and discomfort and I don't want in any way at all to, for listeners to think that what I have said is the solution to this. The obvious approach to any of these lesions, these hair follicle infection type lesions, requires medical investigation, medical intervention, and it is only when those conditions uh, have not responded to the medical approach that complementary medicine, particularly herbal medicine, particularly herbal medicine, um, should be accessed. Yeah, that's a great advice there, Dennis. So we're going back to the phone now. We've got uh, John at Edgeworth. You've got a question about boils for Dennis today. Howdy, John. Yeah. Hello, John. Hello, Dennis. Um, 
In regards to boils, I yes. don't remember. You remember me? I was uh, had Fleur there when she had that. Yes, I do. Over. Yes, yes. Gone, gone here. Well, anyway, I just re- going back to a hundred years ago. Yes. When I was about seventeen or eighteen. Yes, yes. I had boils when I was going to school and carbuncles like you wouldn't believe. Yes. Anyway, this doctor um, that I was going to in Hornsby. Yes. He, um, I went to him with one one afternoon on the elbow. And he said, I'm going to take a swab out of that. Yes. And I'll get you to run it up to the hospital, Hornsby Hospital. So I took a swab out of it. He ran it up to the hospital. And about, oh, I don't know, it must have been 10 days or a fortnight later, he sort of got in touch with me. He said, right, call in on your way home from work this afternoon and I'll jab you. So I called in and they'd made this serum up or whatever it was. Yes. And he had to give me a, a small dose and make it a little bit more every day. Yes. It went on for two weeks. Yes. Every afternoon, that's ten days, every yes. afternoon after work I'd call in and yes. jab me. And I've never had a boil since. It's a, It was a sort of an immunotherapy. Yeah, well, why aren't they doing that now? I'm, I'm only just thinking with Fleur. Like, why couldn't we have taken a swab with those, what she's got, and they could make an anti-venom up or something? I don't know. You'd know more about than I would, but well, that's I d- what happened. I, I don't know a lot about that procedure, but it, it's, it's sound. It seems to make sense. It's uh, in in many ways, it's the old principle of, of like cures like, almost a vaccination type of therapy. So yeah. it may it may well still be being used. It's just that uh, emphasis these days is seemingly more placed on the surgical and antibiotic approach. Rather than on what you're talking about, but again, again, to be fair, I'm I'm not up to speed with modern immunotherapy or modern uh, medical techniques for dealing with this. It may be that this is being used more more commonly and more frequently. Um, it certainly makes sense from what you've been saying. Very interesting um, and a good good discussion uh, about quite troublesome conditions. And again. Uh, I want listeners to to understand that the the approach that we adopted in in these conditions was an approach that may work in some people, but under no circumstances should it be seen as the treatment. It's a useful treatment for recurring infections. That's where complementary medicine works best as uh, an adjunct or associated with the mainstream, particularly where the mainstream is faltering and not getting the results. Dennis, we've got to go to the phones again because Kevin's on the line. Kevin's at Swansea and he wants to give you a bit of info on some old remedies. So what have you got for Dennis Stewart today, Kevin? How you going, mate? Hello, Kevin. How are you? Not too bad, Dennis. Good, yourself? Good, 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 mate. Good. When I was a young bloke, yes. I'm, I'm, only, I'm a lot younger than you, but... Yes. I'm 65, but I was in my teens, and I suffered from boils. Yes. Very bad. Yes. Uh, used to get them in the cracks of me behind. Yes. And we travelled from Swansea all the way up to Parks in the back of a, an old 64 station wagon, and I laid down in the back of that all the way up there because oh. I couldn't sit down. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> and... We got up to Parks and my grandmother said, well, I can fix him. Yes. And he, she turned around and went down the backyard to the chookyard. Yes. Got a free-range egg. Yes. Brought it back up 
inside and smashed the whole egg up, shell and all. Said, here, drink this. Okay. And I've never suffered from a boil since. That might be what you call aversion therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, it's 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 a little bit left field as far as herbal medicine is concerned, uh, but in your case it worked, um, and who can contradict it? If something worked, it worked. It's, well, it's not something that I've recommended for the many boil patients that I've treated, but I will say this much, uh, and I frequently jocularly said it in my lectures and on programs, I would rather treat boils than many other conditions because boils, and I'm talking about boils here, by the way, uh, not just the occasional boil, but boils that can uh, continually occur one after another after another. And I'm thinking here of a, a school teacher from uh, Stockton that I treated some years ago who was in this situation. In this situation, um, I've, I've said that I would rather treat uh, boils than any other condition because they are so responsive to herbal medicine and the old the old herbalists god bless them many of whom uh, i i have learned from and worked with they would all always use this old term that, that the herbs that were to be used were the so-called blood purifiers in inverted commas now of course modern medicine laughs at that but the idea behind it is pretty sound that there are a group of herbs that deal with chronic settled infections that manage them or that manifest themselves in pustular inflammatory lesions such as a boil so look your grandma did a great job uh, with you on the on the smashed egg it's not something that would sit well in my practice i think my patients would prefer to go away with 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 some of my herbs but thanks for ringing mate i'll take it on board <laughs> Nice work, Kevin. I'll tell you, would you have thought when you came in here today, uh, Dennis, that all of the phone calls essentially will be conditions or ailments that are, seem to be sitting around the butt crack? You wouldn't have thought that, would you? Well, it's a, it's a pretty vulnerable area. <laughs> <laughs> and re remember that these, these, uh, these lesions are characterised mm. by infection, by bacteria. Some, uh, also, some also more vulnerable than others, you might correct. say. That's correct. Look, let's get back to yep, old-fashioned yep, medication. Yep, yep. We've been trying to get onto this for three yep, weeks, yep. and uh, some of those old-fashioned mm. remedies, we'll leave the egg to one side for a moment, but are there some old-fashioned medications that you particularly seem to lean on a little bit and recommend to patients that may be available from uh, pharmacies? Well, now, y you have to appreciate that there are quite a few herbs that are restricted to pharmacy use. For the very good reason that there are some herbs which, if they are used unwisely, um, can be very, very problematical and very toxic. And we've touched on this topic before. So it is correct that uh, a group of herbs um, are restricted to pharmaceutical use where they can be monitored and, and logged and, and prescribed very, very specifically. And these remedies are frequently referred to as galenicals. Now, galenicals were very, very popular in pharmacy, certainly 50 years ago. With modern pharmacy, based on modern pharmaceuticals, packaged stuff, in inverted commas, uh, has largely taken the place of galenical preparations, many of which would have been made up by the pharmacist in his dispensary. And I have hundreds of pharmacists that uh, would relate to what I'm going to say now, and many of them have helped me out over the years in providing and supplying some of my co uh, colleagues and, and patients with 
preparations which they only, rightly, should be allowed to dispense. The tragic part about it is um, not all pharmacies these days work with galenicals. I hope to God galenicals will reassert themselves. That is, preparations that are essentially based on herbs mm -hmm. because herbal medicine is what's called galenical medicine where that's named after the, the great Greek ph physician Galen and galenicals mean preparations based on herbs which were the backbone of pharmacy uh, up until approximately 50 years ago. So there are some herbs that I know about, have recommended, have lectured on and expect results from which are not available from persons such as myself and others who are not registered pharmacists. Now, what are some of these? What are some of these preparations that I refer some of my patients uh, to access via their pharmacy, via their pharmacy? For instance, urinary tract conditions. Cystitis is a quite painful condition, and there are various forms of cystitis. But a painful uh, form of cystitis can frequently be helped by a very old-fashioned and well-known pharmaceutical preparation which is called up in various editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary and I have many editions of those, they're treasures. The old preparation which pharmacists of old would have referred to as potsitin hyacimus, potassium citrate with hyosimus or hyacimus. Hyacimus is a herb, it's a restricted herb. It's remarkable for its sedative and analgesic effect particularly with potassium citrate in a liquid preparation used to address various forms of cystitis. It's unfortunate that this is still not being used because there are some cystitis conditions which are characterised not so much by bacterial infection but by irritability, by pain, um, by real spasm. In this condition, uh, a pharmacist working with galenicals can frequently prescribe the old-fashioned pharmacy remedy for cystitis, hyosimus or hyacimus, tincture of hyacimus with potassium citrate. It works beautifully, and I hope there are younger pharmacists out there that will take that on board and get some of the older editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary and look at the way to convert that and prescribe it. Another preparation that would have been used by many mothers in this town, maybe not these days, but in the past would have been the remedy that is specific for dealing with kids' colic. Now, kids still get colic. And one of the best remedies and one of the best preparations that was used and still works is dill water. The herb dill, it belongs to a group of herbs that have antispasmodic and wind-resolving characteristics. It's a harmless remedy. can be made up in a pharmacist's dispensary. Wind remedies, generally speaking, are based on the herb dill. Now, that is something also that I will occasionally recommend a patient to access from their pharmacy. There are two so-called galenical preparations that in their heyday would have helped a lot of people in this town are still capable of being made and work, in my opinion, frequently as well as some of the more modern packaged pharmaceuticals. So there are two remedies, and I could go on. For instance, a remedy that was very popularly used in, in this town and maybe still being used by some older uh, medical practitioners or pharmacists 
was a preparation that was used to address asthma. And that was known as um, lobelia, stramonium and potassium iodide. It was a liquid preparation and because, again, it had the herb stramonium in it, which is a herb restricted to pharmacists, it can only be manufactured or prescribed by a pharmacist. That medication used to address a chronic, wet, bronchial condition, say a bronchial asthma that's characterised by a lot of mucus, a lot of phlegm, a lot of coughing, that is remarkable for the way in which it will drain the lung of, of, of congestion, will ease the breathing and change a very, very chronic condition into something that may then be better managed and responsive to some of the new, new modern medications. The list could go on. And Gavin at Soldier's Point, your question for Dennis today is all about Astragalus 8. Gavin. Yes, yes, mate. Um, I heard Dennis talking about a liquid form uh, the other week and uh, I went to the chemist and uh, they gave me a bottle of tablets. Yes. And I was just wondering whether there's any difference in the strength or okay. what the story is. The, the tableted preparation is a very convenient and easy way of getting the Astragalus 8 effect. The um, powdered extracts that are used to produce the tablet are a good representation of the actual herbs and therefore I have no reason to doubt that in the correct dosage, uh, and I emphasise that in the correct dosage, particularly in comparison uh, with the dosage for the liquid extract, in the correct dosage the tablets logically should give you the same effect as the liquid preparation. No worries. Thank you. Glad we could help out. See a nice, easy answer, Dennis. Yeah, and look, so, some people uh, quite obviously uh, can't handle uh, liquid herbal medicine. The virtue of liquid herbal medicine in a dispensary is, of course, that you can uh, prescribe individual medications compounded in your own dispensary. Uh, tableted preparations are made, um, you know, for convenience, and, and that's fair. You can't be carrying round... Uh, liquid preparations, they can frequently spill, and also the taste of them is somewhat challenging. And Sounds so like I, you've been there, done that. I with have indeed. I remember <laughs> flying to Perth on one occasion, and I had some liquid herbal medicine in my carrying bag above the above my seat. No. And then uh, on the <laughs> no. way, I started to see it trickling down, which was quite embarrassing. I always make sure that I don't take liquid herbs on the plane. I'll ask you a question now, yes. just on the taste. Yes. Yeah. Why can we just not get every preparation just tasting? Just put some sort of flavour in it. Why oh, is well, that too hard? That, that, it's not too hard. Um, herbs that are exceedingly bitter are very difficult to camouflage. But most herbal medicine can be buffered to some degree. And in our practice, we use a, a, a few drops of aniseed oil. Which oh, has an I don't like that either. <laughs> or some will use peppermint as a means. I don't of, like beans either. <laughs> well, mate, you're stuck on it. You're stuck on I'd it. I better just try and be as healthy as I possibly can. Well, look, you look, you look pretty good. Well, thank you, Dennis. What about what about chocolate flavouring? Can we get our, our preparations chocolate flavoured? Uh, you mean uh, mm, put it in a milkshake or something like that? Well, it doesn't have to be, but I mean, just get rid of those. You're taking the Mickey out of me. I I'm think. really not. <laughs> I'm sure you are not. <laughs> no one likes the taste of any medicines, and if the best you can got is well, aniseed, look, herbal, herbal medicine, unfortunately, has historically been based on liquid preparations, whether they be water-based 
or uh, ethanol based and I frequently say to my dear wife that we've been practicing herbal medicine consistently for over 40 years and I frequently say to her I don't know how we're still in business because some of these medications are very challenging but she says they still keep coming back and patient after patient will come and get their medicine in the dispensary even without seeing me because regardless of the taste very frequently it's the only thing that has helped them. Look we're talking about the old fashioned uh, medications old fashioned yes. remedies and yes. the fact yes. that in pharmacies and other places, we seem to have moved away from those. Yes. Do you think there will be much of an appetite to go back? And why have we moved so far away from them, if they indeed work as well as you say many do? Okay. Well, the first thing to say, of course, is that uh, Galenicals, as we refer to them, um, haven't got all the answers. And it would be wrong to say that the old-fashioned remedies are always better than some of the newer preparations. That would be wrong. But what I'm saying is that some of the older preparations work they work well and very frequently they can do a job of work equivalent to that of a packaged pharmaceutical that's dispensed from the pharmacist's shelf now um, you say um, if they are valid and they must be valid because they're called up frequently in pharmaceutical literature if they're valid uh, why aren't they being used i think one of the reasons and this might sound a bit radical one of the reasons they're not being used is perhaps the Galenicals are not being taught in pharmacy courses so that younger pharmacists in particular may not know much about what I've been talking about today. And I guess if something's not being taught, you only know what you know. And Correct. Yeah. Now, there's a bit of a reversal in this. The compounding pharmacists, many of those are starting to use what I would refer to as Galenical preparations. And you say, is there an interest in going back, particularly by pharmacists and medical practitioners, to using older-fashioned remedies, some of which incorporate herbs? Yes, there is. I conduct an, a, a distance learning program, a professional extension diploma on herbal medicine for pharmacists and doctors, and that course is very, very popularly accessed by doctors and pharmacists who are interested in retrieving some of the knowledge about Galenicals and beginning to incorporate those in their medical practices or in their pharmacy practices. And I don't boast, but over the many years in which I've been teaching, there are literally hundreds of general practitioners and pharmacists in Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, Adelaide, Perth, in Auckland, who would have sustained my teaching, and they're there because they're interested in what we've been talking about today, realising that you don't throw away the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the efficacy of an older system of medicine just to get with it and use the modern stuff. The modern stuff, we all use it and we need it, but we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Thank you, Dennis. We will uh, head back to the phone and squeeze one more in. Peter from Fassy Fern, uh, you've got some concerns about Ross River fever for Dennis today. Hello. Hello, Peter. Oh, hi. Uh, look, I, I've been constant with you. Uh, I did have RRV. Yes. Uh, I, I consulted with you uh, over the uh, program. Yes. Uh, you've got me going A1 through my uh, immune system. We've done that. But I have a very, very dear friend of mine who's been uh, diagnosed with it. He got very sick with it, went to the hospital. Yes. He's having problems with his blood. Yes. Now, I want your opinion. Uh, 
in your opinion, is it possible for the RRV to completely throw his blood uh, into a blood disorder? Well, I, I don't know much about uh, what his blood disorder is showing, so it would be no, probably no. incorrect. Sometimes when you're afflicted with a serious virus, that will manifest itself in your blood profile and show some uh, unusual markers. White blood cells, for instance, might be elevated. Um, I, it would be better if I didn't comment because I'm not a, hem sure. I'm not a hematologist um, sure. or a pathologist, but frequently uh, a viral infection... Is, is noted and shown to be there by the, the, the markers that would occur on the appropriate blood test that the doctor or specialist would do. Sure. OK. That's all I need to know. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Bye now. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Ross River Fever, Dennis, it's, it, it's one of those things a lot of people get very concerned about it, very and much, rightly so. Very much so. And look, again, without overplaying the importance of the Astragalus 8 formula... Um, it is a remarkable agent that is a recovery agent for many of these wretched infections, these virally-based conditions. Uh, and I've helped a lot of people who've had that condition simply through using that particular preparation that I was fortunate enough to discover and bring into Australia over 25 years ago. Oh, there you go. That's a nice there little pat on the back. <laughs> one of it's the, true. One of the it markers in time for your, for your 40 years. You know, we could, here's an idea for a program for you, Dennis. You okay. can have a, you, you talk about your 40 years yes, yes, that's true. in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe just uh, bring out some highlights, so some of the big well, highlights. That, that would be interesting. In fact, we might do that. And it would be fascinating for listeners to hear of some of these highlights because one of these days when I write my book, and I have the title for the book. I have the, the title for the book. It's going to be called Fringe Medicine. Oh, there you so go. The very... title's there. Yeah. And one of these days you when got I the first retire. Page done. <laughs> and the preface. And the preface. Okay. <laughs> Who's going to get write the introduction for you? Oh, I don't know. See? Uh, there are so many that have offered. Mm. Um, but um, I'll get round to it one of these days. Can we do that best of uh, 40 years in, within the next two weeks before I'm on holidays? I'd love to do that. Great. Okay. You've got two weeks to work on okay. it. Thank you, Dennis. Great Thank program. You. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.